chapter 2. At the beginning of Habakkuk, we encountered the prophet questioning God over the problem of evil among God's people in the nation of Judah. Our prophet approaches God with a tenacity and boldness that some might look at with some holy skepticism. Should you really talk to God that way? Uh, and yet, he does. And he does, uh, he does so in a way that does not uh, accuse God of wrongdoing, but actually fits in the character of God. God hates sin. Habakkuk hates sin. Habakkuk sees sin around him and wants, wants to know what's going on. Why is God not, not taking care of this? He sees an, an apparent inability of the law to actually bring about holiness and peace that he desires. So God's response was, well, this evil has not gone, un gone unnoticed. God, in fact, was doing something. He's raising an army to come and invade Judah as a disciplinary measure to correct this wrong. Today is a good day to remember that God is sovereign, that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he is good. Every day is a good day to remember that, but perhaps today is especially a good day. Proverbs 21, 1, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. It was true when it was written centuries ago, and it is true today. God's decisive, unthwarted control over kings of the earth was absolutely true over King Nebuchadnezzar. That would be the Babylonians, as we've been reading about in Habakkuk. It is true today. God has an undeniable and undiminished control over Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, and every other world leader. We can take great comfort and rest in this truth. Part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to grow in our faith, to trust him in all circumstances. In our passage, Habakkuk is getting, getting news from God that is not good news. It is news that his nation is going to be invaded. His nation is going to be overthrown. That's not exactly the answer Habakkuk was looking for. But having gotten that bad news, in today's passage, we're going to see uh, God's condemnation of the Babylonian Empire as they are going to come in and take Judah. God is going to condemn them as well. Because no wrong ever goes unnoticed. By our God. So follow along with me if you would. Habakkuk chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself up with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. 
for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire. I read that wrong. Let me start verse 13 again. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to verse 14 being fully complete that your glory would be known and revered by everyone all around the world. Lord, help us to see how you are at work through trouble, how you are in control, how you love your people and will do what is necessary for them. So, Lord, speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Wasn't quite sure looking at the book of Habakkuk, how should I break up each sermon? I get to this chapter and, uh, my goodness, I could take each of the woes and make a sermon out of each one by themselves. Uh, But I determined rather to clump these three together because of verse 14. Verse 14 gives us a very clear positive to end on. Not because I think all sermons have to have uh, that touchy-feely good positive vibe, but because that is who our God is. And he's trying to set at, uh, at contrast the character of the Babylonians and what will happen to them in contrast to who our God is. God compares the, the theft, the looting, of the Babylonians as one who borrows with no intention to repay and therefore defaults on that loan and must pay the consequences for that even greater debt. It says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Actually, before that, back up earlier in verse 6, he says, uh, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say... Uh, so this warning is clearly for the Babylonians that, uh, that God is against them. Even though God is raising them up, remember that from chapter 1, that terrifying notion that, that God is actually the one bringing about this evil upon the nation of Judah, uh, that uh, God is the one raising up the Babylonians and he's the one who's going to put them back down in due time. That's what these woes are about. The Chaldeans or the Babylonians will come stealing property and people, not their own, not only the nation of Judah, but really anyone who stands in their way. And they are building a massive empire in doing so. They are reckless and they do not understand that God is 
taking account. He is keeping track of all the evil that this nation does. They think they are getting away with their wanton theft. They are mistaken. Because in verse 7, we'll see that those from whom they stole will come back for revenge. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. That word debtors may well be a correct grammatical translation. It is an incorrect financial understanding. Here's what I mean. It should be creditors. Those from whom they have taken and not returned. Um, the way we, at least the way we, the general public, understand what a debtor is, uh, that's someone who uh, is in debt. We would say that the Chaldeans are the debtors and that uh, the creditors are all the nations from whom they have borrowed. Uh, in fact, some translations do actually use the term creditors. Uh, once you recognize that that's what he's trying to say, this verse does make more sense that those whom he has taken from will rise up and want to take it back. Babylon will become unimaginably rich and powerful on the blood and backs of all whom they conquer. But those who survive will not forget. Their children will not forget. Their grandchildren will not forget what Babylon has done to Judah and they will come back for revenge. Not Judah specifically, but the nations that Babylon conquers. They will rise up, and at God's appointed time, Babylon will be no more. And we can look at the world scene today and say, yes, Babylon is still no more. Verse 8, because of what Babylon will do, God will bring about justice on them. Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations. By the way, it's always fun reading prophecy because this is future tense that he's using past tense words for. At the time it's written, but in our time it is actually past tense. I'll give you a moment with that one. Uh, but he's, he's writing in past tense as though it has already happened. It has not happened. But the word of God is Sure. When God says it, it doesn't matter what the timing is. It's as good as done. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Justice never arrives soon enough for us, does it? But justice delayed is still justice. And in God's perspective, he can have that philosophy. We can't. Here's what I mean by that. In our justice system, we have this understanding that justice delayed is justice denied. That's why we have the concept of a speedy trial. That if someone is being convicted of a crime, they have a right to have a, a fair and speedy trial. Because, you know, if they're actually innocent, it does them no good to have this all drawn out. And if they are guilty, it does no good to the actual victims to have that person not stand convicted yet. Uh, one of the reasons that it's important to have a speedy trial is because we are mortal. How often has it happened that someone was uh, in jail standing trial for something 
and they die before they actually make it to trial and justice is not actually served. That's why we have this understanding that justice delayed is justice denied, but God isn't limited by a lifespan like we are. So he's telling the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they are going to have justice served. Now it's going to be a long time. They're going to get away with their evil for a very, very long time. But what is time to God? I mean, he invented it. God is not limited to the lifespan of man to bring about this justice, so justice will be served. So here's where we are. God is going to punish Judah with a, with a nation who is very wicked and then punish that very wicked nation for punishing Judah. Our second woe, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. This one who has borrowed from the nations, who has made this gain but has gotten it from evil means. By the way, Scripture does not deny that if you work hard and you gain something, that that's an appropriate thing. It's not Gain itself is not evil. It's the evil proceedings of getting that gain which is evil and in this case it's the conquering of nations to build himself up uh, this woe is pronounced against that evil gain not only was the way he enriched himself evil the way he used that enrichment was evil so in this verse the he or the him is referring to the the empire that is going to invade judah they only exalt themselves. And in doing so, they have duped themselves into believing they are safe. He was blinded to his own frailty. The Babylonian Empire was one of the strongest empires the world has ever known. That's why even if you don't read scripture about who they were and who they are, even if uh, you only kind of pay attention in history class, you've heard about the Babylonians. From a worldly perspective, they were very strong, very mighty, very powerful, very effective. But compared to God, they were very frail. And they don't know it. They don't see it. They believe they are safe. Sometimes, we act actually like this arrogant empire. Sometimes we believe that we are safe by our own actions. Safety is really a myth, isn't it? We forget sometimes whose we are. We belong to God and any sense of safety that we might enjoy is not because of us, not because we happen to live in a good part of the world. There will be people who die today in the United States uh, through violence. And there are people in Ukraine in a very violent area who will not die. As a believer in Christ, we have to remember that our safety is actually in God's hands. 
yes, make wise decisions, but entrust God with your safety, not your circumstances, not your own abilities. One of the, one of the Babylonians' largest downfalls was trusting in themselves. Their stature has been built up on shame and they will surely fall. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. That last phrase is ominous. It's one thing for one king to say that to another or a prophet to say that to a king. Who's speaking here? When God Almighty says you have forfeited your life, there is no turning back from that. I mean, who can resist God? The first woe was focused on the theft of property, and that's bad enough. The second woe focuses on the, the death of people, which is eternally worse. And for this blood that they have mercilessly shed, there will not be forgiveness. Does that mean that God is unforgiving? No, he's very forgiving. But because they will not turn to him for forgiveness, then they will not receive forgiveness. The enemy will die. The physical evidence of their crimes is so overwhelming, so condemning, that even if there are no witnesses remaining, it wouldn't matter. Look at verse 11. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond the evil of the Chaldeans is so great that they will be called out on it even if it takes inanimate objects to do it the rubble of the cities that have been ransacked cry out as a testimony condemning the enemy reminding everyone that what God is going to send their way is actually something they deserve. We see our third woe in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. This empire is being built on blood, not on God's blessing. So beware to anyone who tries to expand their borders at the expense of others. Yes, this woe is directed at the Chaldeans, but the sentiment, the, the heart of God behind it is true for all nations. I can't even begin to comprehend the timeliness of this message. I did not hear about some war going on across the world and say, hey, let's look at the woes of Habakkuk. Yet here we are. Woe to the Chaldeans who build their empire on the blood of all the nations they face. Continue in verse 13. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire? What on earth is he saying there? And nations weary themselves for nothing? Well, here's what he's saying. People struggle for power and prestige, but for all of their effort, the empire's labor, as they have conquered these nations, as they have built this empire that for centuries and millennia to come, people would be speaking of, 
for all that effort, really all they're doing is building themselves an altar in order to be burnt on. The nation building will end with their ruin. So the picture painted by the prophet here is that the massive effort that they are going to to make their fame and fortune greater will burn all the more brightly. They have labored only for fire. Fire that would destroy themselves. Because of the intensity of their evil, because of the scope of their nation building, their fall will be that much more breathtaking than perhaps other nations of the world. Whose name will last forever? Babylon's lasted a long time in name. But only God's name is forever. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When the, the Hebrew people would speak of, of the, the earth and the sea, they were, they were referring to, in shorthand, everything that has ever been made. The Lord is the Lord of the earth and the sea. He is the creator of all things and everywhere his knowledge will take hold all of habakkuk is about god the entire book of habakkuk is about god and his infinite power it's not about the evil of the enemy it's not about the the dilemma of the prophet seeing all this evil around him and and there's seeming to be no hope Habakkuk is not about the sinfulness of the nation of Judah. Habakkuk is about God. God is and always has been in control. We say safety first. Remember the Chaldeans were trying to build up this empire so that they would be well cared for and safe. We say safety first even today, but honestly, none of us actually mean that. I remember a few years ago, a man died while stepping out his front door to pick up the newspaper. He had fallen and his coffee mug had broken and the remnants of that coffee cup cut him and he bled out and died. What could be more safer than drinking a cup of coffee? or reading the news. Things that we do every day, right? Just normal, everyday things are not necessarily safe. We say safety first, but we don't really mean it because there is actually no promises of that kind of safety in our own effort. Countless, everyday, safe things kill people. Now, I'm not saying this to make you paranoid, but, but to make a point that there is zero safety outside of the will of God. If it's God's will that you die today because of a broken coffee mug, then you will die today because of a broken coffee mug and there's nothing you can do about it. There is zero safety when we are outside of the will of God and there is zero threat when we are inside God's will. puts missionaries in places like Ukraine in a 
a weird position because they have the passports, they have the means to leave. But if it's God's will that they stay and continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're untouchable, right? There is no safety outside the will of Christ, but there is no threat when you're inside the will of Christ. In our passage, Judah is not safe. They are outside the will of God and they will fall. There is nothing they can do to stop this pending invasion by Babylon. And at the same time, Babylon is not safe. They will fall, having thrown fuel on their own fire, as it were, having dug their own grave, if you will. They are outside the will of God and they will fall. Isn't it interesting that they can actually be being guided by the hand of God, but being outside the will of God? Because of their evil, they are outside the will of God. What about us? How does this apply to us individually? Part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to grow in our faith. I said that earlier as well. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to trust him in all circumstances. To trust that God is strong and my enemy is fragile. It's easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? Some days it's not so hard to do. But when life is hard, when Disease and discord invade our country, exposing the fragility of our civilization. When battles and bloodshed abroad threaten the facade of peace in our time, it is then that we, the followers of Jesus, must remember that God has not blinked. He has not dropped the ball he has not stopped being God. By definition, God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is everywhere present. He is in control of all things, and he is good. So then it is on us to go out and act like we believe that God is all these things. To live knowing that God is Sovereign. Look at verse 14 again. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is actually still a future-looking statement. Yet we need not wait to fully know the glory of the Lord. We can trust him right now. The news is full of fear, but we, God's people, are full of hope, looking forward to that great day when the glory of the Lord will fully fill the earth. So believer, will you trust God fully to live a life that is pleasing to him, though it may be 
inconvenient, it may be unpopular, it may be expensive, it may be costly to live for God. Will you trust him fully? Will you do what the word of God commands of you, to love God more than you love anything else in the world? To love people? To love them more than you love even yourself? There are some here today who have not yet experienced the glory of the Lord. You've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, turning away from your sin and trusting Jesus to be your Savior. Would you believe today? In a little bit, we're going to see the gospel visualized for us. Some individuals are going into a tank of water behind me. We had this discussion in Sunday school. Is it really a tank? Call it a bath. I don't care. It's a bunch of water, and people are going to go into it, and they're going to show us a visualization of the gospel, identifying with Jesus as he died and went into the earth, being buried for three days, rising on the third day and coming up. People go into the water to be covered by the water, signifying that they have been cleansed by sin through faith, and then they rise up out of the water, signifying that they desire to live for Jesus, as Romans 6 put it, to walk in newness of life. What a beautiful and glorious picture. Faith in Jesus does what we cannot do. It gives us hope in the midst of hopelessness. It gives us righteousness when we are not righteous. That's all because of Jesus Christ. Earlier we sang, um, not in me. Excellent lyrics. A confession of humility that it is not of anything that I do that brings about salvation. It's only what Christ has done. And I believe and receive. Like I said, in just a moment, we're going to witness the waters of baptism. If today you're here and you've never experienced by faith what they are doing physically, if you've never been cleansed by Jesus Christ and made new, please don't leave without talking to me or Pastor Dan or someone else who can show you from Scripture. This isn't just our church. This is something that the Bible proclaims as truth, as everlasting truth. And we'd love to lead you to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our hope for life and peace is not found among the nations of the world. Our hope for life and and safety is not found in our own strength. It's not found in our family relations where we came from. Our hope is found only in you through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, because you are faithful and true, because you are all-powerful and you promise in your word that anyone who comes to you in faith 
believing will receive eternal life. So Father, I pray that uh, anyone here today who has not yet humbly repented from their sin and turned in faith to you, that they would do so today. Lord, open their eyes. We pray for that those who have received this gift of salvation, that today they would be strengthened in their faith and resolved to live for you, to live for you alone, no matter the cost or the inconvenience. So Lord, thank you for speaking to us from your word today. Use that word, help us to hide its truths in our hearts so that we might grow to be like our Savior more and more each day. Lord, give us hope and peace as we look forward to that day when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.